Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Good day is the way I have opened this show for more than a year now because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the fact that I believe really strongly right now that any day that we're able to gather, talk about the issues, converse with one another, maybe solve some problems, is a good day. Any day that we can get up and experience the world together is a good day. It's not an exaggeration to say that this COVID-19 pandemic has put us all through just a tremendous amount of trauma. Every day for the past year and a half, we have been engulfed in isolation, exhaustion, loneliness, fear, grief, and of course, death. And all of it was very close to home here in Detroit, where we lost so much more than other communities did. And even now, if you've been vaccinated and deemed free and clear to remove your mask, that one small action is still so hard for so many people. This anxiety to show our faces or be in large crowds, it isn't just out of caution or comfort. It's what happens when you experience real trauma. The World Health Organization suggests that the mass traumatic impact of COVID-19 is going to be larger than that of World War II. Think about that for a second. Larger than the largest conflict ever on the planet. And this is compounded with the fact that the pandemic is still really far from over. And it's hard to tell if there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel anytime soon. So today, we want to take a step back to assess the damage from the inside out and think about the ways we might be able to work through the trauma and difficulty of this moment, both individually and collectively. So how are you doing in this moment? I've been asking that question for the duration of the pandemic. How are you doing? How are you feeling? And what are the places and spaces that make you feel safe right now? What still feels nerve-wracking? Have you started going maskless in certain situations while still deciding that you're going to wear a mask for other kinds of things? And what's happening in your workplace or in your social circle? Are things changing and evolving as the world opens back up? And how are you navigating it all? The trauma we've experienced has real consequences for all of us. The stress, the anxiety, these things are going to be with us for years, regardless of how the pandemic ends or when. Later in the hour, we're going to talk with Laura van der Noot Lipsky, who is founder and director of the Trauma Stewardship Institute. She's going to talk to us about the implications of the mass collective trauma we've experienced in the past year. But first, I'd like to welcome Dr. Owen O'Kane, who is a psychotherapist 
and author of Ten to Zen. He is the person who coined the term post-pandemic stress disorder. Dr. O'Kane, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks so much for having me. How are you? I'm good. Also with us uh, is neuroscientist and author of Stress Proof, Dr. Mitu Steroni. Dr. Steroni, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to join you today. So, Dr. O'Kane, before we start, I'm wondering if you might elaborate for us on this concept of post-pandemic stress disorder and the idea that the pandemic has been so traumatizing that it warrants its very own classification and terminology. Yeah, sure. I mean, first of all, just just a premise, we're not talking about um, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is something very different. But what, what struck me, particularly during the pandemic and as we begin to evolve and move forward, is that I see a lot of people really struggling with trauma, you know, trauma type symptoms that I think link directly to the pandemic itself. And my concern is that if we don't address that, then all we do is we just kind of really paper over the cracks and treat symptoms, but we actually don't get to the cause of the problem. And I think one of the huge challenges around a pandemic is it's the invisibility. So you mentioned earlier about the World Health Organization talking about World War II. With the pandemic, the invisibility of it and the, the normalizing being stuck at home, the news headlines every day, I think we sort of became used to, to the world in this new way. And the problem with that is that with, if we start to normalize, then we can begin to minimize the experience. And that's my concern, really, because I do believe a lot of people have experienced some degree of trauma in relation to the events of the last year and a half. And we need to look at that and take it quite seriously. So... I want to make a confession, I guess. Uh, when I was reading about this idea post-pandemic stress disorder, I, I felt like I was looking in a mirror. I mean, I felt that this was describing exactly the kinds of things that I'm feeling in this moment and have been feeling, frankly, for a really, a really long time. This has been one of the hardest things I've ever experienced in my life and uh, the, the, the toll that I feel like it takes on me now as we're going back to things as normal, trying to reacclimate to the world, it, it's harder because I feel tired and I feel anxious, I feel sad, um, and I feel isolated. Uh, Dr. O'Kane, how common? Is this? I mean, I, I can't imagine that there's any of us who don't actually feel some degree of this right now. Yeah, I mean, I think, Stephen, what you're describing is what a lot of listeners probably are experiencing in varying degrees. And it doesn't mean that you'll be experiencing that all at the one time. It could be that you're going through phases of adjustment, you know, and essentially this falls under the parameters of adjustment disorder because it's a huge life event that we didn't expect and what we're having to do is we're having to psychologically adjust to that event and try to make sense of what's happening and the human brain will obviously have to in some ways make amends for that and often the traumatic brain what it will do is it will begin to shut down in areas as a way of coping so some of what you're describing the anxiety the feeling tired 
struggling some of the days. I mean, of course, that's going to happen when you've been through trauma. I grew up in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. And one of the things that fascinated me was that often during really traumatic incidents, when there were bombs or explosions or terrible things happening, we never really saw the true impact of the trauma until after the events. It was never at the time. It was after the events, normally a few months later, when you begin to see the proper impact. And I think that's sort of where we're... Uh, now where we're beginning to see what you've just described, people more anxious, people struggling with mood, people tired, people demotivated, people worried about what's going to come next. So I think the important thing is, look, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the human brain responding to a life event. For me, it's more important to recognise that actually there is a way through this. There is a way to recovery. You can cope. You can manage these symptoms and hopefully Further down the line, we do emerge into better times. And, you know, what we can do is we can try and salvage some of what we've learned from what's happened over the last year and a half. So for anybody who is struggling today, the one thing I would say is that this can get better and the way you're feeling today can get better. But firstly, the key thing is a recognition and the admitting to someone that you're struggling, because until you do that, then suddenly you can be caught in a loop. So I think that is a key message I'd love to get across today. One, if you're struggling, it's normal. But secondly, do not be afraid to reach out and speak to someone and ask for help. Dr. Steroni, what exactly has the stress of this past year been doing to our brains? Talk about how our brains process trauma like this. So I think um, we, just as we just discussed, we're in a very unique situation because, as has just been said, the trigger, the enemy, is invisible. And on a day-to-day basis, when we're in a situation of safety, the brain navigates the world based on prediction. And the most important thing we have to be able to predict is the presence of danger. So the brain, we now think is constantly predicting and forecasting the presence of danger and uncertainty around us. And that is what shapes our day-to-day behavior in any environment. So at the moment, we've gone through an entire year and possibly more, possibly longer, of persistent uncertainty, number one. Number two, a threat that is invisible, that is lurking everywhere and anywhere because it is invisible. And number three, it's an uncertainty and a threat that has never ceased. So when the brain goes through a, an experience of stress, we, we usually, so a healthy experience of stress is acute stress, where it, your, your brain gets suddenly discovers a threat or discovers a situation that it might, that might have overwhelmed itself. At that point, the brain triggers a stress response. And a stress response is a very default setting of the brain where it can cope with absolutely any, it can cope the best it can with any unknown threat, any unknown danger, any unknown enemy. So a short, sharp stress response is something we've evolved to have from as far back as when we were, you know, from essentially from very, very far back. And it was especially useful when we were, when we were predators or when we were prey, Mm -hmm. when we were running after animals, when we were running from animals, when we were in situations of acute danger, it saved our lives because at that moment, the brain 
triggers a pathway which then turns on a, a hormonal response as well as a neurological response which increases vigilance, increases alertness, um, increases the speed of response, and so on and so forth. And all of these things are there to save our lives when we are faced with danger in the short term. Now, the important thing is, when these processes are turned on, they do us good. But if they stay turned on permanently or for long periods of time, they start causing harm. And we have gone through an entire year and more, a year and a half and possibly longer, of this response, this state of heightened vigilance being turned on and staying turned on incessantly without a break. And we talked also of different people experiencing this in different, uh, to a different degree. I would also add there that for many of us, this experience has been incredibly personal and we've experienced trauma ourselves. But even for those of us who have not, the incessant um, experience of it through the media, through the images we are seeing, through the, the possibly the interactions we're having with social media, is bringing these events very much closer to us so that we are experiencing them firsthand. Um, we just spoke of, of how sometimes in the past events would happen and you would learn of them afterwards. But right now, the electric media is making these events very much part of our own lives. They're entering into our living rooms, even if we're not directly affected by it. And this is also incessant. And the third um, element, another element here, is that we have evolved to live in tribes. And long before we had concrete houses, long before we had cities, long before we had nations and countries, we relied on each other to bear us through trauma. And an added angle that this pandemic has had is, as we've just discussed, we have been socially isolated. We cannot reach out and touch and hug and hold a hand of relatives and friends and loved ones who would normally give us the security. Hmm. And there is scientific evidence that holding the hand of a loved one when going through trauma reduces the hormonal response to stress. Wow, wow. So uh, all of these factors together are, are creating an issue. Yes. I'm talking with Dr. Owen O'Kane. He's a psychotherapist and author who coined the term post-pandemic stress disorder. I've also got uh, Mitu Steroni with us. Uh, she's a neuroscience researcher and author. Uh, we're talking about how we're feeling in this moment, the stress and anxiety that so many of us are feeling still because of the COVID-19 pandemic, all of the things that have happened to us individually and collectively over the last year and a half and how we go forward, how we cope as the world comes back together, opens up and the expectations for a lot of us are that we go back to some semblance of normalcy. A lot of us are having a hard time with that. I'm one of them. Are you also somebody who's struggling with that? Are you someone who is not sure how much of the world you want to go back to, or if you desperately do want to go back to the world that you knew before, are you having a hard time with the sadness and the fear 
that you've lived with for the last year. Give us a call. Tell us how you're feeling. Tell us how you're coping. Tell us what would help you adjust better to things that, uh, that are happening all around us. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start today with Craig in Southfield. Craig, what's on your mind? Hey, good morning. Hey. Okay, so um, let, let me begin with... Uh, personal assessment um i'm in a real situation where between friends family and acquaintances i know seven people have died Mm. so i'm not responding to this let's get back to normal hey the pandemic's over um let's open up the businesses uh being forced to resume this normal that everyone wants to get back to knowing that the seven people that i know who will no longer be here, it makes it very difficult to embrace what they want to refer to as the old normal. I'm trying to adjust to the new normal of isolation, getting comfortable being by myself, apprehensive around crowds. And as businesses reopen and they want us to return to work, it's it's hard for me to sit there and just accept this. Mm. And I encounter people who haven't experienced any deaths, and I know people of multiple races who've not received any vaccines. So to embrace this old normal is not going to happen for me. Wow. I'm sorry. Wow. I'm going to embrace the new normal. Yeah. And I'm going to be continue to be apprehensive around crowds, and I'm getting comfortable being by myself. It's just it's. Those seven people aren't coming back. No. I, I don't. This pandemic is not over. I don't care what kind of uh, uh, messages you're putting out there. Uh, you can wear a mask if you've been vaccinated. If you haven't been vaccinated, don't wear a mask. I, it, look, look, I'm wearing my mask. Yeah. I, I don't care. Craig, Craig, I really, first of all, want to say how sorry I am that you lost seven people. During the pandemic, uh, that's a number that's way too high, um, but it's also a number that I hear pretty commonly, that number and higher here in Southeast Michigan, especially in the city of Detroit. <clears throat> but I also really appreciate you, the thoughtful approach that, that you're taking here and that you're giving yourself the space to feel what you feel and, and react to it appropriately. Uh, Dr. O'Kane at uh, Talk about the ways in which I was talking earlier about the expectations that we now have to face that say we should go back to to life as it was before. That's its own stressor on top of, I think, what you're calling post-pandemic stress disorder. Of course. I mean, firstly, Craig, again, um, condolences seven people is a lot of people to loss in a short period of time. So I can imagine it must be incredibly difficult. And you make a really valid point there about returning to the old normal, because I think you're right. We, we, we can't return to that. We're actually evolving our way into a new reality. And you mentioned about how you really try to be comfortable with being at home and staying with the restrictions and wearing a mask. And it could be that for you, 
that's that's the right decision. There will be other people who will take a different route. And I think that is one of the key points about all of this. You know, there is no right or wrong. There is no should on how someone should cope. And what I'd be saying to anyone is that whatever route you choose to go, it's always got to be about, okay, well, you can't control what's happening at the moment, but you can control how you respond. So what I'd be saying is, okay, well, how are you looking after yourself during this period of adjustment? How are you looking after yourself when you're staying at home? You know, are you coping well? Have you got enough support around you? Are you using resources that help you out a bit? So I think for me, I'm more interested in culpability and how people are managing rather than getting caught up on what people should and shouldn't be doing because ultimately human beings are going to make their own they're going to make their own decisions ultimately. And what I'd say, Craig, is that um, if you don't mind me asking, I mean, have you had periods in your life before where you've gone through a tough time? Craig, are you, you still with us? Yeah. yeah. Have you had uh, periods in your life before where you've gone through a tough time? Well, yeah, I'm kind of like the patriarch in the family. My wife and I are responsible for burying people when they pass or making sure that their affairs are put to order. So, yeah, I'm I'm good with accepting that responsibility. What I am not great with is being forced to embrace someone else's mm-hmm. assessment of what's going on. Yeah. Oh, well, you know what? Let's return to work. Uh, the only thing my company has done, and I can't mention them by name, is suppress the notices of the people who have been affected. Wow. And then they have the disclaimer saying the person um, did not contract it at work. Right. It's not known. Well, yeah, you, you don't know where they contracted it at. Sure. All they've sure. done is suppress the notices. Right, so, Craig. I want to get back to uh, to Doctor O'Kane, though. Um, but 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 I really appreciate again the context and uh, and your story, Doctor O'Kane. Um, c- continue. Yeah. What 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 I what I'm trying to get a sense of really is that you know whatever your stance in this and whatever opinion you take, it is about how you draw on the the internal resources that you've got, you know, to get through this. Whatever your opinion or whatever your view, because ultimately it's got to be about how we adjust. Dr. Steroni was talking about how the mind copes with trauma. I guess what we've got, we've all got to be thinking about now is, okay, well, what are we doing to try and adjust? You know, what are we, what are we doing on a day-to-day basis? Are we stopping? Are we taking time out? What are we doing to take care of ourselves? Are we talking about this? Because when we talk, we process material. Are we seeking help? Are we limiting the amount of TV that we watch every day with horrific headlines? Because all of these things can be incredibly helpful in terms of how you cope day to day. And I think, you know, we've still got a lot of uncertainty around. And I guess it's about, okay, maybe it's about managing each next step. Mm -hmm. Maybe we don't have the whole picture at the moment. And often in life, we don't. So it's about, okay, well, how can I manage the next step? I've coped so far. So what can I do that helps me cope with the next section of this pandemic, whatever that may be, and what responsibility am I taking to look after myself? Because the one thing we all know is that no one at the moment can give us certainty about anything. And if you look at a definition of anxiety, a definition of anxiety is an intolerance of uncertainty. And my argument would be the more tolerant or the more you can try and lean into your uncertainty and work with it, then the less you're going to struggle. And I know that's a big ask because most of us you know, we want to know, we want the information, but unfortunately we don't have the full picture at the moment. And I think the more you can try and work with the uncertainty and take it step by step, rather than try and control the entire thing, 
you may then suddenly feel a greater sense of control and feel more steady yeah. than yeah. you might do at the moment. So it's about that internal ownership that we all have to take. Right. Uh, Dr. O'Kane, uh, I really want to thank you for being with us here on Detroit Today. Really extraordinary uh, to get your insights uh, on post-pandemic stress disorder. Thanks so much for being with us. You're very welcome. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about how we're all coping with going back to the world. Uh, we will keep uh, Me Too Steroni, and we will also get to more of your calls and comments. Michael in Southfield, Ben in St. Clair Shores, you're up next. If you want to join them on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day on 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Dr. Mitu Saroni. She's a neuroscience researcher and author. We're talking about the stress that all of us are feeling right now as we go back to the world as normal, quote unquote, after the pandemic of COVID-19. Uh, we want to know how you're coping, how you're feeling, what are you doing to adapt to all of the expectations that we will go back to the world as it was before. We also especially want to hear from you if you're having a hard time if you're not really able to turn that corner quite yet. Uh, I am somebody who is having a hard time with the extent to which there is an expectation that we will go back to things the way that they were before. Uh, the sadness of the pandemic, the anxiety, the fear, uh, they're, all, they're all working on me still and keeping me from the excitement that I have about the idea of life as normal. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Dr. Steroni, I want to read a Twitter comment and get you to respond uh, to it. Amanda says, we keep saying that the threat is invisible, but what about the very visible threat and stress of people actively denying the pandemic is even real, denying science, putting other people directly at risk through their behaviors? How does that impact people and post-pandemic stress disorder? This is a very good question, and it's something that people are effect being affected by across the world, I'd say. I think that in a situation like this, you need to feel you are facing a common enemy, and this disease is a common enemy. But when you're facing a common enemy, it means you're joining hands with those around you, and you're all agreeing on whom, who this enemy actually is. And I think integrated within that is the idea that you need certainty around you. So you need to predict, you, you can't predict the virus, you can't predict where you might be at risk. But if you can predict as much of the world around you, 
which includes the behavior of other people, your world becomes that little more certain, which helps you, which gives you more courage and helps you cope that little bit more. So when people around you are of a different opinion to you and are behaving in a way that is completely at odds with how you would expect you would expect them to behave and you would expect yourself to behave, then that creates another factor of uncertainty within it, mm-hmm. within the equation. So my, my answer there would be, in a situation like that, and actually throughout the, the pandemic, even if you're not in that particular situation, but in any situation, the most important thing is to just take a step back and ask yourself, what can you control What can you not control? What is beyond your control? What is within your control? Mm. When you've decided what is beyond your control, so how this virus acts, how it eventually, how things eventually pan out, and how the people around you are behaving, you cannot control their behavior. So at that point, look within the small box that you've drawn around the things you can control. So you may not be able to control other people's behavior, but you can control how you behave towards them and towards the world around you at large. Mm. And sharpening that and doing whatever you can that gives you a sense of control will help alleviate and buffer all these triggers of uncertainty that are emerging around you. Yeah, yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone. Call and tell us, as you have throughout the pandemic, how you're doing, how you're coping, what the things are that challenge you at this point uh, as we all prepare to go back to life that uh, is going to be a little more normal than what we've experienced over the last year. Let's go to Ben in St. Clair Shores. Ben. Hello, Stephen. Hey. Doctor, my observation, you put the nail on the head. And, oh, my goodness. <clears throat> I've been seven years a widow trying to uh, get into the dating scene, and my observations have been on a keen alert. Now I've got a friend who I'm going to have to X out because she's not thinking She's went to Atlanta for the weekend, uh, one of the hot spots. I won't go to Tennessee to visit my family. They're telling me, it's hot down here. Stay where you are, honey. We'll <laughs> see you when we see you. So instead of saying control, my will and my my desires will not be imposed upon that young lady. I won't judge her, but I wish her well. Mm. So, <laughs> so, Ben, I, I, I'm very curious you mentioned dating, and that's not something we've talked specifically about here, but, but give us a sense of how you have managed dating during the pandemic. What did you do to try to um, keep There safe? has been no dating. It's been attempts to, um, I listen to the words coming out of people's mouths. I listen to how they conduct themselves during this pandemic. I hear things where they're going into the fire as opposed to hunkering down and isolating. I will not impose my will on those people. I just choose not to be as cavalier about this Hmm. environment we're in right now with a Trojan horse running around there that we can't see. Right. Uh, Ben, I really appreciate the call. 
and you sharing that that personal narrative with us, uh, Doctor Steroni, uh, quickly tell us about the 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 need for that closeness, the need for intimacy, and how they are damaged by something like this this pandemic. Thank you. First of all, thank you, um, Ben, for sharing your personal experience, and I'm. I'm I'm, you know, I'm, I completely second your, your efforts to just focus on what you can control and just trust that. Um, coming back to the larger issue of social uh, interaction, of social bonds, we've known for a very long time that our tribes, so from long, long before we were so-called civilized or so, so-called, you know, living in urbanized, industrialized areas, we have known the secret to buffering stress long, long before then. And that was through other people. That's why we, we formed tribes. That's why we had people around us. And there are many studies, many of them were conducted on animals and then eventually humans that have proven how your entire stress system, the, home, the, the nerve network that triggers the stress response, as well as the hormonal avalanche that, that is part of the stress response, both of these are reduced, are shortened, and are dampened mm. by the presence of other people whom you love and trust and whom you can actually physically touch. Mm-hmm. You can physically hold their hands and so on. And I think one of the reasons is that people are actually part of our environment. We judge reality by looking, by confirming our sense of reality with the sense that other people have. So if another person has a similar sense of reality to you, you feel validated and your certainties feel more certain. So if you are around people whom you love, whom you trust, who share your, your view of the world, then the little island of certainty that you are building yourself becomes more solid. Mm. So all of these factors really converge on the fact that, yes, it is very important to try to keep and maintain as many people close to you as possible in any way you can. You judge how it is best for you to do it, but it is very, very important for mental health Mm. during this time. Okay, uh, Dr. Mitu Steroni, it was really great to have you here with us for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining the program. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. Okay, so we are going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to look at the mass implications of collective trauma with an expert in the field. And we will continue to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll welcome into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. To Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We've been talking about how the COVID-19 pandemic is going to manifest in our individual mental and emotional health. 
But now we want to zoom out a bit and talk about the social ramifications of mass trauma exposure. My guest is Laura Vandernoot Lipsky. She is the founder and director of the Trauma Stewardship Institute. Laura, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. So your work with survivors of events such as national, natural disasters and mass uh, shootings is really interesting uh, to me. Based on your experience with incidents like those, how can we begin to deal with the effects of the pandemic, a traumatic event that every human being has been involved in and experienced? I think that one of the most important things to recognize is that our experience of it is it's personal and it's subjective. So it's different for everyone. And I think that that's important both because it helps us recognize what the cumulative toll has been over this last, you know, year plus and what it's going to be like as this reopening slowly happens. That matters as well because much of how we fared over this last year and a half also has to do with how we came into this last year and a half, which is also personal and subjective. And I think that's just important to know with trauma and with overwhelm. Um, and in no small part, because any amount of grace we can have with each other right now and humility we can have with each other right now goes a very, very long way. Hmm. So I wonder if you can describe... Uh what a traumatized, traumatized society looks like and what the social behaviors are that follow a crisis event. Uh, have you been seeing behaviors that are unique to this COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. Um, so years ago, I started talking about what um, what I call a trauma exposure response, where it's like a, a constellation of a number of things that often arise, a number of manifestations that arise individually as well as collectively, and it, they can be personal and professional when folks are traumatized or when folks go through a lot of overwhelm. And I would just say over the last year and a half with, you know, the pandemic, with all the structural supremacy servicing, with the climate crisis accelerating, um, with what's happening with our democracy, with all these different layers, we're seeing that trauma exposure response grow. So some of the primary things that we see on there range from, you know, cognitive overload. So that sense of just decision fatigue um, that I think so many people can relate to right now to a sense of exhaustion that is like a debilitating sense of exhaustion, you know, where you feel just tired in your soul, in your spirit, like in your bone marrow level of exhaustion. Um, we're also really seeing how hard it is by and large for many people to assume well about others. And that's something that we're seeing, of course, societally, that you're seeing how hard it is for people to assume well about each other. But we're also seeing it really uh, like happen in people's personal lives very individually. Of course, cynicism can come in. We see how quickly people can just numb out. It's almost that feeling where I don't want to use a clinical term dissociation, but where you can just feel so incredibly numb that it's almost like you're having an out-of-body experience. So those, those are, there's, there's a number of them on this trauma exposure response, but those are a number of the ones that we see. And I, I mean, I think what's, to me, what's interesting is that these are these are what we're seeing in every community, in every field I'm working in, and actually in all the different countries I'm working as well. Wow. Uh, let's go to Herman in Birmingham. 
Herman, what's on your mind? Yes, I, uh, I'm a child psychoanalyst, and I've noticed the kids don't have the, uh, the psychological flexibility, the resilience, uh, uh, and often pick up on their parents' uh, traumatic response to this chronic or what they call cumulative uh, trauma of hearing terrible news all the time. Uh, it's, it's caused them to isolate. They're more uh, connected to kids and rely on other children uh, for support, for uh, developing resilience, and uh, being isolated has been very tough on them. Hmm. Uh, Herman, I'm really glad you called because uh, you've got some frontline experience with this, and and the effect on our children, I think, is something that a lot of us are starting to notice and and scratch our heads about and wonder how it will be how it will be different. Uh, uh, Laura, uh, talk about that that distinction and how concerned we ought to be about our kids. Yeah, it's, again, a really, really very important question. I think we simultaneously should be extremely concerned while also not future tripping, right? So I think we want to <laughs> be very in tune. We want to plan as much as we can. We want to anticipate as much as we can. But when I say we don't want a future trip, we don't want to get into an overwhelmed state of like ruminating, perseverating, and projecting into the future of how horrible things might become. I'm working with a lot of school teachers. I'm working with a number of people who work with kids and adolescents, and it is really, really hard, whether you're professionally connected with kids or you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt and uncle to not future trip right now because there is significant concern about the long-term cumulative toll on children. Um, so I think we want to not underestimate and not go to this place of, oh, you know, kids are so resilient. And yes, of course, we want to really appreciate all the ways that children are resilient and also this this has been brutal for kids, both because of their own experiences going through this and also no matter how much we as adults have tried to mitigate the harm and tried to buffer the best we can, obviously, you know, we many of us have been so saturated that we've been rupturing in many ways and all the young people around us have picked up on that. And whether that's our own children who we're raising or again, in professional settings, it's been very, very hard um, to be able to protect young people from this. Um, and that's just the younger kids, of course, you know, once once they get on social media and once they get their own phones and once they're more out in the world, then they, they have access to all of this. Um, and and we, when we see their fear spiking and we see their anxiety spiking. Uh, Herman, again, thanks very much for the call and those really wonderful insights. Let's go to Michael in Southfield. Michael, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Thank you. I, I first want to just thank you for your willingness to be vulnerable and share where you are. And, and for this show, I'm feeling grateful for all these insights. I'm somebody who has done psychotherapy plenty in my life, and I'm very aware of the psychology uh, aspect of things, and I'm still, still kind of getting a, a, an awakening with this show. Like, yeah, I don't think I've really thought about this, the duration of this, and how it impacts me and others. And mm. 
I went from being so vigilant. About, I felt like I was among the most vigilant and wear your mask and, you know, being freaked out about everything. And then getting vaccinated and feel like, oh, I'm good because all the information is <laughs> once you're vaccinated, you're good. And now, you know, I'm hearing these little dribbles of stories saying, you know, oh, these people got it even though they were vaccinated. And I can feel that my response on one level is, oh, that's, boy, that's concerning. But I think maybe underneath that is like, oh, no, you know, like uh, a response that I'm not even aware of in me that is uh, so like, oh, I can't take it, you know, Mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. I'm laughing about it, but I think that lives in me and probably a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael, I really, really appreciate your call and uh, your own vulnerability, willingness to share what's going on with you. Laura, I wonder what your reaction is to what Michael's talking about. Yeah, well, I I mean, I really hear you and feel you on all of that, Michael. And I think part of it, you know, there's any number of things that I imagine are going on there. And I, I mean, I, you know, I can tell you, you're in very, very good company. Much of what I um, talk with folks about is this idea of how important it is that we create conditions throughout our day to metabolize. That's one of the ways I talk about it, that we want to have conditions throughout our day to metabolize what our nervous system is going through, what our nervous system is being exposed to, what our nervous system is reacting to. If we just kind of bring it down to like a neuroscience standpoint, like what what are actually is happening in our nervous system because throughout our day our nervous system is reacting over and over and over and over to perceived threat and right now again from the pandemic to everything surfacing with structural supremacy to what's unfolding with the climate to any number of things in one's personal and professional life your nervous system is likely in a very jacked up hyper aroused state so it's imperative that we have these conditions in place to metabolize through very, very accessible practices so that we don't get into a state where we become very saturated in our nervous system, where when our nervous system is becoming over and over and over activated, if, if that doesn't have anywhere to go, if it doesn't have a way to leave our nervous system, it starts pooling in our nervous system, it starts stagnating. And Michael, that might be some of what you're feeling is that stagnation that starts building and building and building and we can feel so saturated and you can feel that throughout your body you can feel it cognitively you can feel it you know just in your spirit if you believe in that in your mind and what's very hard about saturation is it can become just incredibly hard to function with that but humans don't stay saturated at some point we'll start rupturing and so that's that feeling where you just feel so at capacity that you feel like your you know mind is breaking you know and you just feel totally like you just you you it things start to feel very very surreal you know Mm. and so the good news here is that there are many practices that are very accessible, that don't take a lot of time, that you don't need a lot of cash for to help us be able to metabolize. But I think part of it is understanding how important it is that it takes 
a lot of diligence to understand, you know, to, to understand like there is so much that we are being exposed to right now and our ability to tend to ourselves, both individually as well as collectively, it's got to be a priority if we're going to continue to get out of bed every morning and keep, keep on keeping on, keep, keep on going. putting one foot in front of the other. Sure. Sure. Uh, Michael, again, thanks so much for the call and the insights. Uh, let's go to Mario in Detroit. Mario, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen, real happy to speak with you, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just wanted to say real quick, like a lot of the conversations I've been having in my own house with my wife are just, you know, I think we're all feeling the stress of a couple of things, COVID-19, and of course, like some of the political and, and health conversations that are going on right now. Um, to, the, to that part of it, I'd say, uh, you know, with my wife, we've been saying a lot, you just got to kind of thicken your skin a bit and soften your heart. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it's not... It's not worth, uh, you know, ruining, you know, these great relations you've had with people, you know, your whole life, um, you know, to just uh, to bang away on tropes that, you know, everyone's saying on the nightly news, you know, do what you can. But sometimes you got to let, you know, those people fight those fights and and and, you know, keep keep your own family right. But um, also the other thing I wanted to say is, um, you know, in terms of COVID-19, you know, so you got to give yourself permission to look back and see how far you've gone because, you know, up to a few months ago, our hospitals were full and, and, and people were, were dying at alarming rates. And, and, and we've come a long way and we have to, you know, give ourselves permission to, you know, be thankful that those of us who want to be vaccinated are vaccinated. Um, you know, a lot of things, although life hasn't returned to normal, normal, um, things are a lot better than what they were, you yeah. know, a long time ago. So yeah. um, quick, yeah, Mario, I, I, I'm going to run out of time, and I want to give Laura a chance to respond quickly. But thank you very much uh, for the for the insight, uh, Laura. I've got about 30 seconds left, but uh, go ahead. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I think with what Mario's saying, you know, Jack Kornfield says, if your compassion does not include yourself, it is incomplete. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this really is a time to be as compassionate as we can with each other and with ourselves. And while it is a time in the world to be as accountable for our actions, as responsible for our behavior as we can, I do think being able to have that compassion for ourselves and for each other, as well as that grace and humility, we know that that is very meaningful in the aftermath of disasters and catastrophes, Hmm. which we are in right now. Okay, uh, Laura Vandernut-Lipsky, great to have you with us for this conversation. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. you so much. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it for us today. I want to give a big thank you to student producer Nora Ryan for producing today's show. Really, really great work on her part. Tune in Monday for a conversation with two reporters who recently took a deep dive into a relatively unknown story about the Burwood Wall and what we can learn from confronting the fear and anxiety behind some people's decision to forego a COVID vaccine. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station.